Scams. In this day and age, we are confronted with them nearly daily. Phishing emails, text messages saying our mail is undeliverable, being called by people from Microsoft saying there's something wrong with your PC and they can help fix it by allowing them access. Even just scams with people selling goods online. I'm sure we've all had experiences with attempted scams or know someone who's been the victim of a scam. This episode, we're looking at potentially history's smoothest criminal, Victor Lustig. Welcome to Cheeky Tales. screen or we just like dance to the fake music i don't know if i'm gonna have enough time to make a <laughs> uh make a, a real intro but we'll get there yep. i'll have an intro one day yeah hello hello we're on video we we are well, are we i don't know we might be <laughs> it could be cutted. mine might be the only one that works by the end <laughs> or you just yeah it'd just be you at the yeah. end of the episode yeah, just me like mm, yes mm, mm. Mm. yeah i was uh i was giving the the camera a couple of as we as we started so that'll get cut in yeah, hello YouTube. We're uh, we're actually doing a video one. It's nice to be here for a change. And if you just got us in your ear holes, if you want to watch us, you can pause it and which you should. I totally did my hair for this. Yeah, I, well, I put on a nice shirt. I thought about changing and then I didn't. Um, you, you may be able to go watch us on YouTube, depending if if this works. <laughs> who knows? Okay, if a- not, we tried. We tried, and we will try again. Yeah. So you been, boy? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. I, uh, yeah, it's been a while since we recorded, hasn't it? it? It feels like it's been a while. We should mention we are missing Sean. Sean. We'll gesture to where he is. I would love to have had a camera set up so we can see his empty <laughs> space, but he might be here for the next episode. Just, um, just take a photo later and you can just edit that edit in. Edit that in. Yeah. <laughs> just him like. Or just yeah. Apollo sitting in his spot. Yeah, Apollo, Mr. Two Eyes, as I've called him because now he has a second eye. He always had a second eye. He's just got it open now. Look at him. Look at him with his big wide eyes. This is great for the camera. Can't <laughs> just see it at talking all. Talking about something yeah. off screen. Yeah. You know what's funny is that my next episode is a um a criminal as well. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, so we're we're doing <laughs> well, we're not doing criminal in November because this is only one episode in November. The yeah. next one will be in December. Yeah. Maybe it's not a criminal. Maybe I'll change it up. Decrimember. I got nothing. Now this guy's a this guy's a bit of a criminal and he is the hero of our story. But I don't know if he will be a hero by the end of it because he is a con man. <laughs> hero and bastard is what I'm hearing. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Very interesting bastard. And um, I'm hoping by the end of the episode you'll actually be kind of fond of him. Okay. Because he's, um, seems, yeah. Kind of like D.B. Coops. Bit of a bit of a cheeky muffin. Yeah, he was a bit of a gentleman, mm. uh, D.B. Coops. All right. Um, let's get into it. Well, let's have a look at his early life. Okay. Do you want to hit us with a pun first? Um, steal my attention. Oh, nice. Very good. Mm. Mm. So That's gonna- how quick they always happen. <laughs> we're going to look at his early life. Victor was born on January 4th, 1890 in the little Austria-Hungarian town of Hostin. Okay. Mm. I've been watching, I, I've, I found this guy on YouTube. I found one video of his and it's like historical events that happened at the same time or historical timelines that'll break your brain. Yep. Yeah, some fun ones. Yeah, nice. There was a, a 20 year, I think it was like 10 or 15 year period, maybe, where a samurai could have faxed Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's something you would never have thought of would happen. The but- first Star Wars film came out yeah. in the same year that the last guillotine execution happened in France. Mm. Yeah. And someone who later appeared in Star Wars yeah. saw that guillotine. Yeah. We've done a whole episode on it. Yep. 
So Christopher Lee, go have a listen if you haven't heard that one already. Cleopatra was more likely, oh, sorry, not more likely. She's not likely to do this at all. Cleopatra was closer to being an Instagram influencer than she was to seeing the Great Pyramids being created. Yeah, no, that one makes sense. Mm. Mm. Well, I found uh, a, a website that had a, a, like it was coincidence, little short stories that we yeah. might be able to do an episode of. A little bit. Um, another montage episode where we, we take three or four of these shorter stories and put them in one of just crazy coincidences. Would you like me to tell you one? Yes, go ahead. That probably won't make the episode. All right, our first cut. Well, it's a crazy coincidence, but it's like I sent you the few that of the mm. people dying. This one yeah. doesn't die. So what had happened, there was a man walking along a street. Okay. And what happened, there was a toddler fell out of a window above him and landed on his head. Ooh. Uh, they both survived. Right. Um, yeah, well, toddlers don't have enough weight to snap a neck. No, both survived and like – barely any injuries. Just the coincidence was it was like a year later, the same man was walking down the same street and the same toddler fell on his head again. Who are the parents? <laughs> I don't know. What are they doing? <laughs> I don't know. But like, what are the chances that- well, one Pretty year, high, apparently. Yeah, the kid's falling, falling out, out, out a year. Window. Yeah, but to, to land on the same person twice. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So. Have you seen those? Have you seen those baby cages that they used to put in windows? Oh, yeah. Like what, what we you do for cats nowadays. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the Child the just like, hey, what's going on? Bit of fresh air. What's, yeah. what's going on? Me, me, me. <laughs> just New York City, just watching the rower taxis. I'm walking here. <laughs> so anyway, Victor, like you said. Vicky. Was born in Hosten, a quaint little village arranged a barrack clock in the shadow of the Croconose Mountains. Okay. The Croconose. Yep. But what does the Crocono? Mm, um, to rock around the clock? I don't know. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> this is now known as the Czech Republic. That area is like Czech Republic area. At the time of Victor's birth, Hosten had a population of about 4,203 people. And as of um, the 1st of January this year, it sits around about 4,300 inhabitants. So, Just quickly, have you checked your republic lately? Ready for this, people? <sighs> during <laughs> during his future exploit, he would claim his father was the burgomaster of the town. It's nothing funny about that. Nope. What that means is the mayor of the town. So that must have been like the, okay, the, mayor McCheese yeah. got it. <laughs> <laughs> but later in life, spoiler. <laughs> Yeah, great. Later in life, spoiler <laughs> alert, from prison interviews, uh, he would say his mother and father were the poorest peasant of people. Get wrecked. Mm. Who raised him in a grim house made of stone. He also claimed to have stole to survive, but only from the greedy and dishonest. But all this information is from a con man, a charlatan. So who knows how factual it is? Mm. I'm going to say not very. Mm. Victor was a quick study. Victor was a quickter. And, again, dealing with a con man here, mm. there's not a lot of information about his early mm. life. So, it was said that he was a quick study and had a quick wit and could quickly size up a situation. While on break from school, he learnt several languages. Some articles I've read said Victor knew up to five languages. 
While on this study break at the age of 19, not only did Victor take up gambling, but he also obtained a defining feature, a scar on the left-hand side of his face. Dope. How did he get this? I'm guessing a bar fight. It was from a jealous boyfriend of a woman he had been consorting with. Okay, yeah, that one makes sense. Mm. Yep. <laughs> it kind of speaks, I guess, maybe like the, how smooth the talker he was and yeah. that kind of thing. It was also during this time as well. Hang on. It was, also, it was during this time as well he very quickly climbed the criminal ladder. Yep. Progressing from panhandler to pickpocket to burglar to street hustler, and he, prov- and he had perfected every card trick known, i.e. palming, slipping cards from the deck, dealing from the bottom, and by the time he reached adulthood, it said Victor could make a deck of cards do everything but talk. Many of Victor's initial cons were done on luxury ocean liners sailing between Atlantic ports, the Atlantic ports of France and New York City. Lucky Sean's not here. Because <laughs> of the- boats again on single boats, man. <laughs> Well, this would have been the Titanic, wouldn't it? Uh, well, not obviously the Titanic because no. it didn't make any of those, but <laughs> yeah. of that time. <laughs> it did one. Yeah, of that time. It did 0.5 of one. Because <laughs> he was born 1890 and he's around about 20 years old now. So we're looking at the mm, 1910s yeah. to the 1920s. So he might have been on the Olympic. Yeah, 1910s to 1920s, yeah. Um, He would pose as a music producer, seeking investment in non-existent Broadway productions. At the time, it was the perfect scam. He had a captive audience of marks, and by the time they realised they'd been scammed, the cruise was over, and Victor disappeared. Bye-bye. However, this perfect moment in time for Victor wouldn't last as the world broke out into the First World War, and these ocean liners would be suspended. Victor would have to find a new hunting ground. Mm. So, yeah. Uh-oh. Well, there you go. So it would have been, like I said, uh, 1910 to when the First World War broke out, 1914. So a couple of yeah. years. And he did in the form of America in the 1920s. Apparently, America was infested with smooth-talking European immigrants at this time, such the likes of Charles Ponzi. Yes, the infamous namesake of the Ponzi scheme. Mm. Possible future episode. Yeah, I did a little bit of reading into that. Very interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I, I almost did him recently. Yeah, obviously, a lot of people have heard of the Ponzi scheme, but mm. to actually know where it's come from, like how close we got to just doing the same episode. This is crazy. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I kind of asked if you heard of this person. Yeah. These con artists were professionals in their dubious line of work. What? Oh, I just. Yeah, go on. What? It's just when we get into the next episode, you're going to be like, oh, geez, we did do the same episode. Oh, really? <laughs> this is good. We're doing like a mini- We're doing back-to-back. Yeah, we're doing back-to-back. Convember. <laughs> so, yeah, they were, they were professionals in their dubious line of work. They, did, they didn't act like thugs, but gentlemen, and Victor was the same. It said he treated all women with respect, and on, and on November 3rd of 1919, married a Kansan woman named Roberta Norette. Roberta. There is a memoir written by Victor's daughter in which she recalls how her father raised a secret family on whom he bestowed his illicit profits. The rest, she said, he would gamble or would spend on his lover, Billy May Shebel, the owner of a million-dollar prostitution racket. Million dollars in that time too. That's like- That's big money. Yeah, that's good money That's now. good money. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say good money, but you know what I mean. Well, in 1920, nah, a million know, bucks uh, is... Oh, yeah. well, yeah, okay. Yeah, now like, you're with me. Yeah. Yeah. 
The USA- Because of the sex, boy. podcast, <laughs> boy. And I'm about to say the USA would be fertile. <laughs> the, would the USA would be a fertile hunting ground for Victor, eventually becoming well-known to d- detectives in 40 cities, known as The Scarred. Thanks to the- Great before- nickname. Yeah. Thanks to the before-mentioned gift he received from that love triangle. What were you laughing at? Mid-sentence. Just, just oh, how that lined first, up. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wasn't that. Sure. Now I sound like I'm how it laughing in, how at the word it, fertile. Or how it intersected. Yeah. Just how it all came together nicely, you know? <laughs> Get on. Stop with, it. Let's move past it's it. Episode 64, not 69. <laughs> nice. Some of the schemes in Victor. <laughs> We were talking just before the episode about what we would do for episode 69. Are you going to like tease it I don't it want now? to tease it. Okay. <laughs> tease it. Tease it. So, yeah, okay. Some of the schemes in Victor's repertoire included fake horse racing, feigned nice. seizures, uh, sieges, seizures, seizures, feigned seizures. But, yeah. Look, it's Julius. Uh, to Brutus. No, Fame seizures during business meetings and mm-hmm. bogus real estate investments. Brilliant. Also, one he conducted in 1922 mm-hmm. where he conned a bank into giving him money for a portion of bonds he was offering in regards to a repossessed property, only to use sleight of hand to escape with both the money and the bonds. Probably his most infamous scam at this time was the Romanian box. Romanian. Romanian? Not Romanian. Romanian. So R-U-M. Romania. So like Rummington. At your local BWS. Romanian box. A box to which he would claim to potential marks could duplicate any current bills that were inserted into it. With only one catch. The device needed six hours to print a identical copy. Okay. So he's taking the note and just running. (laughs) Not quite. Okay. He would show people his money machine. After right. being asked, how did you become so wealthy? So the box, it was made of mahogany and about the size of a steamer trunk. That's a nice bit of wood. Mm. The design included two small slots, which were the intakes, one for the money and one for the blank piece of paper mm-hmm. to be printed on. That was the other one. The world's oldest tree yeah. was still uh, was alive when the last woolly mammoth was killed. Oh, yeah. Or died. Yeah. There you oh. go. That was a fact that'll blow your mind. Should find that video. Hmm. Put it in the uh, the old link dump. It's that's I just worked out. That's what I could hear. Oh, yeah. Hopefully that's not coming through. There's a fan on because it's it's I'll, a I'll, humid time. I think I can't hear it. You can. Yeah. Audio texture. Mm. Maybe I'll get up and turn it off. Oh, oh actually, okay, Google. Turn off the fan. Yeah, that was noticeable. Look at Polo. <laughs> what? We're just going to start sweating on screen now. Oh, yeah. Get ready. We're going to be glistening. <laughs> Where am I at? So we're at the two slots, uh, one for the bill and one for the blank piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Also on the side was a series of levers and mechanisms which would operate the box. Mm-hmm. Operate the box. Yeah. To fill the mark, to fool the mark, Victor would ask for a domination bill. A denom- denomination Thank bill. Thank you. Example, like $100. Yep. He would then insert it in the machine and then they would go and wait the allotted time for the duplicate to be printed. It's just no way I'm falling for this. 
Like put $100 in here and then come back in six hours. They would return and there would be $200 bills Mm. sitting at the, uh, I guess, like the exit tray. Then Victor and the Mark would go to the bank and have the money authenticated, Mm. to which it would be. Because what Victor had done is fill the machine with real money and it would just take the blank piece of paper and spit out a real note. After seeing this amazing feat, the Mark would beg Victor to sell him the box. And like a good con man, he would refuse. He would remain reluctant. Oh, I like keeping my special buddy box. Mm. That was until the offer got high enough. Yeah. Which each machine selling for between 10000 and 30000 With one what? reportedly <laughs> selling for $47,000. That's so much money. Once the machine was sold, Victor would chuck in a few legitimate notes so he would have the time to disappear into the wind, remembering it would take six hours to print yeah. one note. Yeah. So we'd put four or five hundred dollar bills in there. They would go in it. So that might be like a day's worth of printing and yeah. then it would stop working. Oh. That's, that gives him a day to disappear. Yeah. And he's gone by that point. And he sold it for 10 grand and it's cost yeah. him 500 bucks. Yeah. To put in there. That's a good con. Mm. I don't think that's, I don't think that's happening today. It's not happening today. No. Not, not with. Although, crypto. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. How are those NFTs going? I was just about to say NFTs. (laughs) One case of the box working Mm. when it was used on a Texas sheriff. Uh Uh-oh. Who bought one of, who bought one for thousands of dollars and upon realizing he'd been tricked, pursued Victor all the way to Chicago. The sheriff did track Victor down and confronted him about the scam, but Victor, ever so smooth, ever, ever the so smooth criminal, convinced the sheriff that he'd simply been operating a machine wrong and secretly reloaded it with a few more authentic notes. Plus, I believe he gave uh, the sheriff a sum of money as compensation, uh, which was comprised of counterfeit money. Of course. Yeah. And the the sheriff fell for that, didn't he? Yeah. Why do cops get such a bad run? I don't know. It's it's pretty funny that he's tracked him down and going, wait. This Your is, machine's fake. Yeah, it's a word. And he's like, hang on, you've just been using it wrong. Just let me take it away, for, you know, get it working again properly. Just put like four or five more hundred dollar bills in there. Look, here it goes. It's working again. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Thanks. No worries, mate. Oh, cheers. Give him a shuckers and off he goes. Yeah. Give him a couple of thousand dollars in fake money. Yeah. He's all happy. Not anyway. Good. Not good. Now we're on to Victor's big score. Mm. What was Victor's big score? And this and this is the story that drew me in. Okay. Right, I, I read this, and this is what made me investigate Victor's life more thoroughly. Okay. In 1925, mm-hmm. so that puts Victor at what, 35 years old? As the attention Victor was getting from the authorities in America became too much, Victor headed to Paris. Paris. While in Paris, he came upon a newspaper article which detailed the, pro- detailed the problems with the Eiffel Tower. Problems, you say, boy. I didn't say that. You did. Problems, okay. I say, boy. <laughs> what problems would the Eiffel Tower be having? Too hot. Too pointy. The apartment at the top didn't have adequate ventilation. Apartment? What apartment? There's an apartment at the top of the Eiffel Tower. Is there? You don't know that? No. Yeah, the guy that built it built himself an apartment at the top. Yeah, nice. I did mm. not know that. A little bit. A little bit. Middle bit. Well, it was constructed for the 1889 Paris Exposition and was only meant to stand for 20 years. Mm. 
By the time Victor arrived in Paris, the tower was 39 years old and was a rusting eyesore. And the city was finding it increasingly expensive to maintain. Part of the article Victor read made a passing comment about public opinion wanting the monument removed, which gave Victor the idea for his bold scheme. Yep, okay. Boy. Mm. Victor was to sell the Eiffel Tower. Okay, this I would have bought. <laughs> I would have fallen for this. <laughs> After a little research into the subject matter and hiring a forger to produce some fake official France government stationery, he was ready. Some fake official stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I is Prime Minister. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they have a Prime Minister. Um, yeah, Isn't it President? I think it is now. Might Pres- be. President Macron? It might yeah, have been President. part of the Commonwealth back then. France. Mm. France was never part of the Commonwealth. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> Just trying to start. That's just your, what was it, 66 times two, whatever it is. Shut up. I don't want to talk about that again. <laughs> he invited a small group of scrap metal dealers to an expensive hotel, which was the Hotel de Crion, and introduced himself as the Deputy Director General of, Deputy Director General of the Ministry of Posts and Telegraphs. He then convinced the group that the upkeep of the tower was proving too much for the city of Paris and the French government wanted to sell it for scrap. For scrap. He also convinced them- That'll sound great yeah, for the listeners. You want me to do that again then? No, you live in your bed. All right. He also convinced them that such a deal would be very controversial and would likely spark public outcry so nothing could be disclosed of the deal until all the details had been sorted. Victor told the group that he oversaw selection of the dealer who would receive ownership, and they were all specifically selected because of their reputations as honest businessmen. Apparently, his speech included genuine insight about the monument's place in the city and how it clashed with the other monuments like the Gothic Cathedral. He then, by limo, took them for an inspection tour of the tower and on return to the hotel asked them to submit sealed bids for the next day. During his time with the group, Victor wasn't looking for the best person to scrap the tower, obviously. He was looking for the person most likely to fall for the scam. And he found his mark in one Andre Poisson. I thought you were going to say Ryu for a second there. Much too young. Andre was an insecure man who was new to Paris and wished to rise among the Parisian business community quickly. This seems. What better way than buy the Paris thing? <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Is, yeah. Isn't it? This seemed the perfect <laughs> opportunity for him. And well, he was crazy. I, just, I moved to the city and this guy was selling me the, the monument. Yeah. <laughs> and he was very keen to make the purchase. So he arranged a private meeting with Victor. Here, mm. Andre explained he didn't have the insider connections the other dealers did. And Victor explained back that as a government bureaucrat, Victor was having trouble making ends meet. Wink, wink. Yeah. Andre took the hint. Believing this deal would put him amongst the top businessmen, not only did he agree to purchase the tower for $20,000, but also a nice little bribe for the poor bureaucrat of $50,000 to ensure his bid would win. So a total of 70,000 francs. I know I just said dollars, but yeah, it was 70,000 francs. Francs. Now, I went to the Reserve Bank of Australia website yep. for an inflation calculator. Yep. But first I converted, well... Francs. French francs don't exist anymore, so I converted euros to Oz dollars. And then I used the inflation calculator. And from my working, which is probably wrong, 70,000 francs in today's money is about $11 million. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of frog legs. 
But is it a lot of money when you're talking about purchasing the no. Eiffel Tower? No, no, not really. 11 million bucks for that. Mm. That's a steal. In any you case. You did say 11, right? I haven't uh, just messed it up. It's a steal. What's it made of? Steel. Anyway. No, I did say 11 million. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. In any case, once Victor had the money, he was on a train to Vienna within the hour. A much richer man than Andre. Yeah. Yeah, Andre's got nothing. Mm. So he sold- Listen to that paper. <laughs> we should say, I don't know if you've shown it yet, but that is some thick paper. What's the kangaroo song? Tommy, Tommy kangaroo, kangaroo down. down. Sport. Oh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't sing that. <laughs> Next episode. That's Aaron's. No, not that kind of criminal. <laughs> not that kind of criminal. Ugh, that's ick. Victor suspected that Andre would be too embarrassed to go to the authorities once he had realised he'd been conned. Yet despite this, he maintained a watch on the newspaper while in Austria for any news of his scheme. Mm-hmm. And he was right. Mm-hmm. He found no reference of his scheme and a year later returned to Paris. Why do you think he returned, boy? Uh, did old mate die or something? No. Or leave? No. No. He, he just returned to Paris a year afterwards. Right. He returned. Because he had planned to sell the Eiffel Tower once again. again. <laughs> nice. You got to just you got to appreciate the boldness of oh, that play. The gonies on it. Yeah. Just like hey, it worked before. Do it again. Hey, hang on a minute. You did this to me last time. Oh, sorry, mate. This time I really have the rights to sell it. <laughs> All right. Where do you think I've been for the last year? I've been re- re-elected. Or- yeah. <laughs> I'm getting them back. He went through it all again. Found another mark he was willing to buy. With another group of buyers. However, this time, one of the other scrap dealers may have smelt a rat and contracted the French police. Mm-hmm. Victor got wind that the man, the man was onto him. And by the time they showed up to his hotel room, Victor was already on an ocean liner bound for America. Is that the end of our cunning con man? Did he retire and live out his days with his family? No. Back in America, he planned his most dangerous con yet. Okay. What's this one? So I, I don't believe he was successful in the second selling of the yeah, well, it sounds like he wasn't. But just to do it again, like he's known, he's known in history as the man who sold the Eiffel Tower twice. Like, yeah, s- sold the like to sell it once, and then do it again. Yeah, not. pretty impressive. Victor approached Al Capone. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You want to give us a quick? Al Capone was a very notorious gangster in, I want to say Chicago, but it wasn't Chicago. It was San Fran. Yeah. Like the gangster. No, it wasn't Chicago because he ended up in San Fran in prison. Um, He was the gangster. Yeah. Well loved by his community though. Mm. Um, Because at that time you could basically just be a hero by- Giving some money to some schools. Your next episode isn't on Al Capone, is it? No, it's not. That would be very funny because of how close the stories are. Yeah. Yeah, no. So, yeah, Victor approached Al Capone during the Great Depression. We're mid, what, 1930s at this time? Yep. Being mid Great Depression. Mm. Knowing full well that if Capone conned on to what he was up to, it probably meant certain death for him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it would. He convinced Capone to invest $50,000 into a crooked scheme and promised to double his money in two months. Why would you? Yeah, sure. What he actually did was go to a safe deposit 
a deposit in a safe and exactly 60 days later returned to the king of crime saying the deal had fallen through and had returned all of Capone's money. So he just got the 50000 went to a safety deposit box, yeah. chucked it in there exactly 60 days later. Mate, deal's fallen through. I'm sorry, here's your 50000 back. Impressed with his honesty, Big Al gifted Victor 50000 oh, not 50, gifted Victor 5000 to invest. Instead, he pocketed the money and hurried out of town. But, what a dog. So there wasn't really any scam to it. He just yeah. went there and went, didn't fall through. And Al was like, well, man, you are. This what is a, a hero. This is didn't an honest person. Money. Yeah. Better give him some money. Other claims say that Victor told Al that with the deal falling through, he had lost all means of supporting himself and got Al to give him the 5000 to tide him over. So it was either Al's gone, you know what? For being such on, not being so honest with me, here's 5000 to invest in something else to make yourself some money or whatever. Yeah. The other story was told was he pleaded the bit of a sob story. Oh, I've got to feed my family. Yeah. And he's gone, oh. Well, oh, I'm just so poor, Mr. Capone. Yeah. And so then Al Capone's giving him the money to say, well. No, it's <laughs> funny. I haven't seen your kid or wife. Oh, <laughs> they're too poor. <laughs> Can't afford to be seen. So that was his scam of Al Capone. Right. Yeah. Okay. Got away with it. Surprisingly, mm. Al Capone, not known for <clears throat> being swindled. No. Also in the 1930s, well, after that, Victor teamed up with two men, a pharmacist, William Watts, and a chemist, Tom Shaw. They started a large-scale counterfeiting operation and soon were producing very high-quality counterfeit bills and were pumping $100,000 into the economy every month for the next five years. Oh. This operation may have been too successful as it quickly got the attention of federal agents because there was a real threat that this much influx of extra cash would destabilize the economy. Like they were doing some real damage to the yeah. American economy. The couriers that Victor used didn't even know they were moving around phony money. And the Secret Service, Secret Service, even arrested the Texan sheriff I mentioned earlier because he was using Victor's counterfeit money. Right. Remember how I like gave? Yeah. Yeah. And he was apparently pissed. Yeah, I could see that. So he was able to give them a description of Victor because no one had one mm-hmm. as of yet, even though like how he was known in those 40 cities earlier, like not real yeah. description. Um, so he gave a, a description of Victor which didn't really prove it, like didn't really help in tracking him down, uh, which also didn't keep the Texas sheriff out of prison. So he went to jail for using counterfeit money. Yeah. Oh. So months passed and millions of bogus cash is circling America. The Secret Service even dubbed the fake money as lusting money. But in 1935, the the federal agency got a break in tracking down Victor. They were given an anonymous call for uh, anonymous call with Victor's whereabouts and where he was staying. And he was arrested in New York on May 10th of 1935 on the charges of counterfeiting. We actually know who provided the tip. You want to have a guess? Al Capone. Nope. Yeah, I didn't think so. It was done by Billy May, his oh. mistress, during a fit of jealous rage. Ugh, that's something you can't take back. Mm. She was jealous because she had found out Victor had been seeing a new mistress. Oh, that'll do it. 
Tom mm. Shaw's girlfriend. Ah, okay. One of the guys he'd partnered with. Yeah. Not uh, not the most wholesome of, of people. No. Yeah. So, and not a not like the most glorious way for him to go down either. No. <laughs> what? Actually, yeah, you're right. <laughs> what an embarrassing way to get caught. Like one of the greatest oh, times. with my mate's wife or mistress or whatever. And, girlfriend or whatever. And my mistress got upset with me and so she told the cops what I was doing. Oh. And there was no no writings of his actual wife during this time. Like, Yeah. I don't know what she's Oh, doing. yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where's she at? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So the authorities didn't really have anything on Victor as he had no counterfeit bills on him at the time of his arrest. What he did have was a golden key in his wallet. He gladly gave up his two accomplices, like the two guys helping him print, um, but refused he had, that he had any involvement in the operation. The key, however, would be found to open a locker in Times Square subway station, which contained $51,000 in counterfeit money, as well as the printing plates they were made with. Wow. So that was his undoing. Yeah. As Victor awaited trial, he bragged that no prison could hold him, and on the day before his trial was to begin, constructed a rope from Brett bed sheets and slipped out the window of the federal detention headquarters in lower Manhattan, pretending to be a window washer. And as he shimmied <laughs> down the side of the building, apparently dozens of people saw him but thought nothing of it. Yeah. That, yeah. Have you seen window? Like, have you been in a building that's had window washers? No. It's as disconcerting as you think it is. You yeah. turn around, there's a dude hanging there, like squeegeeing and washing the window. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. However, a month later, he was arrested again, this time in Pittsburgh, and pleaded guilty to the original charges and was sentenced to 15 years in Alcatraz Island. Oh, at Alcatraz? Yep. That's where Al Capone ended up. Yep. Plus an additional five years for the breakout a month earlier. Mm -hmm. So his uh, sentence was 20 years in Alcatraz. Jeez. Was he there when Alcatraz shut? Nope. Okay. Because on May 9th. Oh, no. uh, On March 9th. In 1947, Victor contracted pneumonia and died two days later. Oof. Uh, and that was at the Medical Center for Federal Prisoners in Springfield, Missouri. Right. On, Springfield, Springfield. On his death certificate, his occupation was listed as apprentice salesman. Okay. I just, I just, that was a fun <laughs> fact to chuck in. I mean, I'd say he's a pretty good salesman, actually. This is what we know of Vista Lustig, a very smooth criminal. Yeah. I'm surprised that not once have we made reference to Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson. And we're not going to do that now, so don't get your hopes up. what I titled the entire episode. Well, yeah, but like nobody meant, nobody, all right, whatever. Yeah, no one said, Annie, are you okay? Mm. Are you okay, Annie? Mm. One last thing, boy. Mm. Victor created a list of Ten Commandments for the con man. Okay. And they are- Ten commandments. Ten commandments. And apparently they are still in use today. Oh, okay. Would you like to go through them? Yeah, let's go. Number one, be a patient listener. Mm. It is this, not fast talking, that gets a con man his coos. Two, never look bored. Okay. Three, wait for the other person to reveal any political opinions, then agree with them. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Four, let the other person reveal religious views, then have the same ones. Yep, (laughs) cool. Five, hint at sex talk but don't follow up on it unless the other person shows a strong interest. <laughs> okay. Six, never discuss illness unless someone, unless some special concern is shown. Okay. Seven, never pry into a personal person's personal circumstances. They'll tell you all eventually. Yes, they will. Eight, 
never boast. Just let your importance be quietly obvious. Mm. Nine, never be untidy. And ten, never get drunk. Okay. Good advice. Most of that's actually just good advice. Yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or just let other people reveal their views and just agree with <laughs> them. Just agree with them. It's a good way to make friends. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the list of- I think fascism is great. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Ten Commandments for the con. I want to make friends. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Good story, boy. That's good. And yeah, that's Victor Lustag. Like, yeah. Um, again, like I said, I seen the article where it's like the man who sold the Eiffel Tower twice. I went, wow, well, I've got, I've got to research Let's this. Get a bit. into this guy. Yeah. yeah. And then all the other ones, I went, huh. Mm. Yeah. What a life. Yeah. Interesting life. So 1947. That would have put him what? What? 57. That's pretty young. Six, I guess pneumonia gets uh, him like that. Yeah. Was it? It was 1890. He was born. Yeah. 57. Mm. There you go. When did uh, Alcatraz shut? Do you know? Oh, I can't remember. Um, might, we might do an episode on Alcatraz at one point. Just let me, yeah, uh, yeah let you, uh, let Google me Google it on, that, my, that on my phone. phone. <laughs> the funny thing is, he's looking into the camera, which is on his phone. It might not actually even be recording anymore. No, I don't know. Mm. Anyway, um, yeah, good story, boy. I enjoyed that one. Thank you. If you would like to see some images uh, from this episode, you can hit us up on at Cheeky Tales Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, X, not X, it's Twitter. Um, yeah, we post some supplemental content there. Um, obviously, you've got us on YouTube if you're looking at me right now. If you don't, uh, if you're not looking at me, that is, maybe go look at me. Um, <laughs> at Cheeky Tales Pod on YouTube. Um, yeah, we'll be back next week. It'll be the first time we have almost competing episodes. Oh, really? I'm, yeah. I'm excited because we don't let each other know what the episode is No, and I'm starting to think that's a problem. <laughs> this might start happening more. Hey, we've gotten to 64 and 65 episodes that's without true. it actually happening. That's true. So we're yeah. doing all right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll be back in a fortnight. Um, if you are watching us on YouTube and you haven't listened to the podcast before, every opposite week, so next week if you're watching this on release date, uh, we release one of our back catalogue uh, as a just an audio upload. So if, if YouTube's your preferred viewing platform go have a listen to that one uh you know if you have already listened to it and feel like listening to it again pump those <laughs> pump those views we want some of that sweet ad money nice. um but uh yeah we will see you in a fortnight goodbye good night chiquitos that's what i say right that's the one yeah <laughs>